The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. Christians have a reputation for the things that they're against. In fact, Barna Research actually suggests that 70 to 80% of millennials see the church as being hypocritical and judgmental. And now maybe this shouldn't be surprising, right? If we, like embedded actually into the very nature of being Christian for, for many Christians, right? Being Protestant actually means to be against something. But what, what if that wasn't the primary way that people thought of the church? What, what, if, what if the church was, was not known simply for its positions, but actually for the person, the work of Jesus? What, what, if, the, what if the church was known by what it gave and who it loved? So because God is for us. As Christians, this is the promise that God, if God is for us, who can be against us? And if that is the case, what that means for us as the church, as God's representatives in the world, we represent the love, the service, the grace, the generosity of God to the world around us. And so what if that was actually what we represented to the world around us? What if people saw a radical generosity? Not because of what we'd get in return, but simply because it's what people need. What if people saw us serve, not because of what we get out of it, but because what people need? What if people saw us love, not because of somebody who's, somebody's deserved that love, but simply because they've needed it? And so these last three weeks, we've talked about what we could be known for. And what we should be known for. That we as a church are for giving, for being generous. And in fact, during, during that message, that's where we encourage this idea of giving 1995 to, to Victory Lutheran. And it's a way to say, all right, they're not asking for it, but it's simply a way as we as a church can say, all right, we are for them. We are for, for their mission. We are for that community. And we can give with no strings attached, with nothing in return. And we've already raised over $25,000 because you want to be forgiving. Because you want to be generous. This is also why in, in the gym we have these opportunities. It, because we as a church want to be for serving. We want people to know faith as a community that's not insular, that's not focused on itself, but says, all right, who are the people in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our world who need love and care and service? And so there are opportunities for you to go out on the streets and simply share with people in need. There are opportunities for you to tutor young kids who are in need. There are opportunities for you to get on the mission field locally, globally, all over the place. Why? Because we want to be known for serving. And last week we talked about being for loving. And asking the question, what, what if, I mean, imagine if we all asked, what does love require? I mean, wouldn't that change the world we live in, and the way that people saw the church. Now, all of those, love, service, giving, all ultimately are helping point us to what it means to be for people. And that's what I want to focus in on today. What does it mean for us to be for people? And I want us to really focus in not just people as a whole, but I believe that there are actually specific people that God might be calling you to. To calling you to love, to serve, to give, for calling you to be present, calling you to engage with. If you could open in your Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 10. If you're using your Bibles in front of you, it's on page 1,600. 
and 11. And in this text, what we'll find is that, that Jesus is giving some instructions to the disciples that I would suggest, suggest have significant application for w- what we think about what it looks like for us to be four people in our own life. Now, something that I'd like you to know about myself that I think is important to know, I am a terrible gardener. I'm not what you, I do not have what you'd call a green thumb. I, I, and I've tried a couple of times, but that's just not my thing. But that didn't stop me, me and my family from deciding, you know what, this is the year that we are going to have a vegetable garden. And it's, it, sounds, it sounded like a great idea going into it. Because, of course, right, who doesn't want fresh vegetables? And, and who doesn't want your kids to, like, see the awe of these things growing? And then, and then you'd be able to, like, pluck them off and eat them. Like, what an amazing thing. Now, I want to, just to give you a glimpse of how our garden started, um, my, my, my kids and I, we actually made, made a, a short video at the beginning of the summer. Now, now, you should know this. My kids are growing up in the YouTube generation, which means every opportunity that our family does something, it's an opportunity to make a YouTube video. So this is a YouTube video of how our garden began this summer. Hi, I'm Eli. Hi, I'm Emily. Hi, I'm Today we're going to go to the garden. And what kind of things do you think we're going to pick out today? Flowers and berries. I mean, what do you want to pick out? Mm, some blueberries. So it all started very, very good, right? And, but I very quickly learned that just because you use miracle grow, it doesn't work miracles for my gardening, right? Nothing, things didn't grow. We, the, the tiny pickles that my son wanted, which were the cucumbers, they didn't grow. The carrots were all sad and tiny. The berries all got eaten by squirrels. Our herbs died, right? The, the presto changeo is actually my son referring to the basil so that we could make 
pesto. And so the, 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 like all of like the basil died. The only things that actually grew were the celebrity tomatoes and the peppers. Okay, and now what really frustrated me about that is I was like, all right, at least I can make fresh salsa, and that will be so exciting. I'll get my daughter loves to, to make stuff in the kitchen, so she will help me. If she tastes it immediately, makes this awful face, and says, the store stuff is better. And, and every time, I tried four or five times, she refused to eat it. All this is, is simply to say, gardening is just not my expertise. It's not something that I'm good at. And now good news is for next year, I, I think I've learned now everybody in the church who is a gardener who wants to make sure our garden next year has, will be much better off. Um, but the reason I share this is throughout the scriptures, one of the ways that the Bible often refers to sharing our faith is actually using these gardening metaphors. Now, if you're, if you're like me, that freaks you out a little bit because you're like, all right, I'm just, that, that's not gonna go well. Like, I know, God, that I should plant the seeds and you water it and make it grow, but I've planted the seeds and nothing grows. And so, but, but here's, here's why I think this is so significant. Because I think a lot of us actually feel the way that I feel about gardening, about evangelism. Right? It's this big, scary idea. It's something that I'm uneasy about doing. Maybe I've even tried to do it before, and it just hasn't gone that well. I don't know what I'll say. I question, like, is it, is it, going, to, like, is it going to be successful, and how much work is it going to take, and what is the result of it going to all be anyway? Well, in Luke chapter 10, I, I think Jesus has something that is so significant for us non-gardening types. Because what Jesus has here. He uses a gardening metaphor, but he does it in such a way that it's so easy that even I could do it. See, Jesus here has great news for people who feel like they're not good at evangelizing. And so in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is going to reference this garden, gardening idea and this concept. And he does it because he's sending people out. Because he wants his disciples, he wants his followers to be for people. And so he's going to give them a sense of, all right, who are those people that you should be for? And so I want to begin in verse 1, and we'll stop at a few different places throughout this. Verse 1, it says this. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, I want to stop right there for just a second because that, that line, the harvest is plentiful, is very important. And if you don't know gardening, um, what, what, what that simply means is it, everything's already grown, right? That's my kind of gardening. You're not talking about weeding things or watering things or planting things. Jesus is saying the fruit, fruit is ripe. The vegetables are ripe. You just need to go out and pick. Like, that's it. Like, that's all you have to do. See, what Jesus is saying here. To the 72, he says, you're going to go out, and what I want you to know is that the harvest is plentiful. What Jesus is actually telling them to do is just go where God is already working. See, this is significant for us when we think about sharing our faith, because we often think, all right, what, is, what am I going to have to do, and what's the conversation, and what are their questions that I'm going to have to have the answers to do? To? But, but what Jesus is saying is, Jesus is saying, there are some places where I've already actually been at work, and I want you to go there. Jesus is actually saying that there's somebody in your life that you're going to talk to that I've already been preparing for the moment that you would talk to them. See, Jesus is actually the one doing all the hard work. Jesus is the gardener. He's, he's the one preparing their hearts. He's the one opening the doors. And Jesus is simply saying to them, just go where God's already working. 
Go where the garden is already grown. Go where, where, the, 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 go where the fruit is nice and low and easy to reach. Like, that's all, that's all that, that I'm asking. Go where I'm already active. Verse 3. Jesus says, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among the wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. So Jesus sends 72 people in groups of two into all the towns. And now that he knows they're going to be a little bit scared. And he, he doesn't even pretend that's not a bad thing. He says, you're lambs among the wolves. And he actually has a plan. Jesus says, don't take anything with you. Now, the reason Jesus says this is because what we'll find in the verses following, but what Jesus is trying to find out is who are the people that he wants the, this 72 to go to? Who does he want them to be for? And so he says, don't take anything because there are going to be certain individuals that I've already been working on. And he says, this is going to be the way that you know who's ripe because you're going to take nothing and there are going to be some people who see that you have nothing and say, come into my house, let's eat. And Jesus says, that's where the door is open. And so in verse 5, he gives them instructions when they come into these towns. He says, when you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Now these instructions I think are significant to the disciples but also to us. Because what he tells them, he says, when you go there, you will be looking for these people, these people who are open, these people who are ripe, these people who I've already been preparing for the moment that you would arrive. And he says, the way you will know is you'll say, peace be upon this house. In other words, he's saying, I want you to look for people of peace, these people who are open. And for these 72, that means they get invited in. Some people are going to say, no, no, thanks, move on, and, and the 72 will continue to go. But some people will invite them in, and Jesus says to them, when they invite you in, that's a person of peace. Stay, eat, and drink. And for us, when we think about who are the people that Jesus wants us to be for, Maybe there are people of peace in your own life. See, a person of peace is simply somebody who is open to more. That doesn't mean they want to be a Christian. It just means they've invited you into their life. It means they've invited you to stay, to eat, to drink. It means they haven't shut down the conversation. They haven't run away from the invitation. And maybe they're not where you want them to be. Maybe they won't ever be where you want them to be. And maybe they're not even that interested, but they're at least open. See, I think this is one of the challenges for us as Christians, because a lot of times I think we are looking for more than somebody just being open. And we feel this pressure, like, I need to persuade, I need to convince, I need to have all the answers ready. And Jesus is saying, no, no, I, I'm already doing something. You just need to find those people. You just need to go to those places. Find the people and the relationships where, where it seems to be that they are already open to you and invest there. And once you've found those people, Jesus just says, stay there. And he does that because if you want to be for someone, you need to show up. See, the way this 
is described to the 72 is twofold. He wants them to show up relationally. He wants them to eat, to drink, to be present. And it's also a spiritual thing. He wants them to have conversation. He wants them to offer healing. He wants them to share the message of the kingdom. See, and I think this is significant for us because we, we love to talk about the idea of being for other people. But can we re- truly be for someone if we don't ever actually show up in their life? I mean, imagine what we're trying to communicate to somebody. Yes, God loves you, but yeah, I don't. Right? Or no, like, I, you know, God really cares about the situation that you're in, but I'm going to stay over here. See, to, to truly communicate that the kingdom of God has come near, perhaps that means we should also draw near. And so Jesus tells them, when you find these people, here's what I want you to do first. He says, stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you. Now, I think this is really interesting because this is one of those things, whether you're Christian or not, that, that time and time again, we, we see that there's something about the human connection that is made when you stay and eat and drink. There's something valuable about gathering around the table. This is why as families, right, you understand that when, when, when you start to lose time around the table with your family, you feel that. Because there's something about that. And, and one of the fascinating things about, about eat, eating around the table, you know only humans eat socially? Like, like that's it. And it's not efficient, right? You could, if you didn't have to talk in between bites, you could get a lot more done in your day. Right? It's not efficient, it's not convenient, it requires you coordinating schedules, but there's something in us that desires getting around a table, looking other people in the eye, having a drink, having food, having conversation. And I would suggest that that is because there's something deeply ingrained into us as, that's deeply connected to the image of God, that God has created us to be in relationship with other people. And so Jesus says to the 72, when you go there, I want you to sit around the table with these people who are open to you, to show up in their life, to begin to know, know their hurts, know their questions, know their struggles, know their family. And it's in those moments that then the doors begin to become open to more. And now this can get a little bit risky even, especially for the early Christians. Because you see what would happen when he says, right, go there, stay there, eat and drink whatever they give you. Like what happens when you go to somebody's house and they give you food that you're not supposed to eat? Right, because this, this actually happens in the early church. The apostle Peter, he would, he would go, go to Cornelius' house and, and, and all the Jewish Christians freak out because Peter shows up and he's gonna stay there and he's gonna eat and he's gonna drink. Now Peter knows and he knows from God that God wants him to stay there to eat and drink for the sake that he might win Cornelius to Christ. But all these Jewish Christians are like, Peter, you don't do that. You're not allowed to do that. And Peter said, well, I'm gonna risk that because it's worth it for the sake that one might come to know Jesus. And so Peter stays and eats he has relationship for the sake that Cornelius would come to know not only that Peter cares, but that God cares. And that although Peter doesn't come from the same background or the same tradition or even the same beliefs, that Jesus has come for him too. For years as a student ministry, one of the ideas that we've taught to small group leaders that I think is true of all people is that people don't care what you know until they know that you care. 
Because it, it, it doesn't matter how much you know or how valuable the information you have or how true it is. If they don't believe that you care about them, they're not going to listen. See, oftentimes it's when you stay, when you show up, that you actually earn the right to be heard in the first place. And so it's when that happens in the midst of that presence that there then for the 72 is there this clear spiritual connection. Because now imagine, if you have actually shown up, imagine the credibility you have when you say, oh, not only have I showed up, but God wants to show up in your life. Right? There's a different level of credibility when you actually know the person. And so the text tells us there's conversation, there's healing, and there's a very specific message that the kingdom of God has come near to you. Because the disciples communicate with their lives that they want to draw near, but they're communicating with the message that Jesus draws near. And I want you to think about that message. I want you to think about it for you, because I think this is the important thing for us as Christians. We're not like selling this product that we think that we know about, that we need to get somebody else to buy into. Or we're not just going and offering some life advice that, all right, we know something about their life that they don't. No, what, what we are actually sharing is something that we desperately need for ourselves. And so think about that message. The kingdom of God has come near to you. What's the mess in your life right now? What's that thing that hurts right now? What's the thing that you're afraid of? The thing that makes life hard? What are the sins in your life that you regret, that you wish that you would have never said that, that you would have never went there, that you would have never hurt those people? What are the sins that you struggle with, that you so desperately wish that you could overcome, that you just don't know how? See, for a lot of us, Those sins, those places, those experiences leave us in a dark, dark place. And maybe that's emotionally, maybe that's in suffering, maybe that's in sin and rebellion. But what the, the promise of the kingdom is that it's in the midst of those darkest places that Jesus promises to draw near. It's in the midst of the hurt, it's in the midst of the heartache, it's in the midst of the brokenness, it's in the midst of the rebellion that Jesus says, that's where I'm going to show up. And so for, for us, that means that, that many of us have probably even experienced it, that we have people in our life that have shown up in those worst moments. And some have even done it simply because they know that we need God in those moments. And so for some of you, you're in that kind of place. A place. Maybe some of you are in a place of sin and rebellion, and you want nothing to do with God. You don't like Christians. You don't like the church, and somebody tricked you into being here. And so maybe you're in this place, and you've been running away from God, and you keep finding that Jesus just keeps showing up on your doorstep. Like, hey, I'm still here. Or maybe for some of you, you just feel like you're in this alone. That nobody gets the struggle. That nobody feels the way that you feel. And maybe you, with tears in your eyes, what you need, need to hear is Jesus looking you back in the eyes and saying, I will be with you always. So that, that's the promise here when Jesus says the kingdom of God has come near. 
And this can be easy for us to miss because a lot of times when we hear that word, the kingdom of God, we, we've kind of messed up that word because most of us, when we hear kingdom of God, we just think kingdom of God equals heaven. And the kingdom of God certainly includes heaven. But the kingdom of God all throughout the scriptures, whenever Jesus talks about the kingdom, it's so much bigger than that. The kingdom of God is God's reign. And when God reigns, when Jesus is king and he shows up, that means whatever gets in the way of Jesus or what Jesus wants for you, whatever that is, it's threatened by Jesus. That means that when Jesus is king, his kingdom threatens whatever is reigning over you. And that means no darkness, no suffering, no sin, none of that has a chance against Jesus when the, when the king shows up. That means when the king, kingdom has come near, that means Jesus has drawn near and he is willing to go to battle against whatever it is that is reigning over you. And some of you, and some of you have felt that, some of you have been there in those moments and you know how much you needed that. And some of you also know that other people in your life who might need it too. And so what I want to challenge you is to think about who is that person? Who is that person that maybe God is already preparing? I want to ask, what, what, what for you, what's your next step? And it might look different for each of us. For some of you, that next step might be just an open door to be present. It might be an open door to show up in somebody's life who, who there's relationship. It's, maybe it's somebody you work with. Maybe it's somebody you go to school with. Maybe it's just somebody you know, and you haven't really talked ever about Jesus, and you haven't even really hung out, but, but you just feel like God has put on your heart to maybe I should text that person. Maybe I should have lunch with that person. Maybe I should get a drink with that person. Maybe I should spend some time with them, and I don't know why, but maybe I should show up in their life. Maybe for some of you, the next step is an open door to a spiritual conversation. Because maybe some of you already have that person, and you've shown up, and you've been there, and you've been present. But maybe for that person, there's now an opportunity for you to ask some more direct questions. Maybe you've, you have listened, and maybe you can now ask and try to get better, seek better understanding. Maybe you can even share your own faith with that person. Maybe for some of you, the next step is simply an invitation. That maybe somebody in your life, maybe the only reason they don't go to church is they don't know someone who goes to church. And so maybe for you, it's an invitation. Now with all of those next steps, we're simply looking, where is God already at work? Where is he inviting us? to go where he's already present. In verse 10, I want to read this because I think this can offer us some freedom in the midst of the hesitations we might have. He says this, But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. See, because sometimes those open doors aren't actually open doors. Sometimes when we're looking for these people of peace, sometimes they're not open to it. And Jesus says, that's okay. He says, just wipe the dust off and continue. Just brush the dust off your shoulder, move on. 
And, he, and he'll, he'll even acknowledge that it's going to be bad, right? It's not good for these people who don't know Jesus. He said it'll be unbearable. But he says, wipe the dust off your feet and continue on your way with the message and share the message to the thing that the kingdom of God is near. And I think that is so significant because even when you're wiping off the dust and moving on, that message remains true for them. Because even as you go on your way, Jesus will continue to draw near to them and Jesus will continue to do his work even as you move on. And I think the promise also then speaks to us as we do go, as we do look for those open doors. And as we're unsure, is this the right person? Is this the right time? Is this the right conversation? Is this the right thing to say? The reminder for us, even in that moment, as Jesus draws near to us in that moment, because it's not on us, we're just sharing what we know. And Jesus draws near to us in those moments. Jesus is the one doing the hard work. He's opened the doors. He's changing the hearts. And he's saying to us that the harvest is ripe. I just need more people to go. Go where I'm already at work. I want to close in prayer for us. And I want to pray specifically that God would help reveal people to us. That he would put people on our hearts. That we could be looking for those opportunities and those open doors. And then we will have a time of confession as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. Jesus, we thank you so much for being a God who draws near to us, a God who promises to be with us even when we don't deserve it. And Jesus, as we know the incredible power in that promise that you draw near to us, we just pray that you would put people on our hearts. We pray that you would show us people of peace, people who are open to more pray that you would show us the open doors. That then over the course of the next week, that you would show us an open door in our workplace, in our school, in our neighborhoods. That you would open those doors for conversations. That you would build relationships. Jesus, please show us those people so we can show up and be present. And Jesus, that message that we want to share of your kingdom is a message that we so desperately need. Because so often we don't love you with all of our heart and we don't love others the way that we should love. Yet you promise to us that you still draw near to us. And so for all those ways that we have fallen short, all those ways that we have missed opportunities, all those ways that we haven't loved people like we should all, those, all the ways that we haven't represented you well to the world. Jesus, we just pray that you would have mercy on us, that you would hear us now as we personally and quietly confess to you our sin. promise of Jesus is that no matter what the sin, he promises to draw near to you. 
And that no sin, no hurt, no suffering that tries to reign over you, none of that can stand against Jesus. And Jesus, in this very moment, speaks his words to you that your sins are forgiven in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.